Uh, now, as you are able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which today will be done by Jana. Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Maybe seated. Well, good morning. It is uh, good to be with you here this morning. A little different experience than what I've had this last week. Uh, a little different energy, different smell, um, which is appreciated. Uh, I uh, said this last week and, and kind of mentioned this in my prayer. I got to go down to Hume Lake um, with our, our high school ministry. Just got to go as a volunteer and, and serve under our high school pastor Blake's leadership. And um, I, I just want to start by, by saying this. The future of our church uh, is so incredibly bright. Um, we have an amazing group of students who just love Jesus, are pursuing him, and it was a blessing to be a part of that and to, to be able to see what they were experiencing and what they were going through, to watch them make decisions to follow Christ, to, to see their love for one another, their love for Jesus being poured out, um, and to really see them being honest about this idea that, hey, yes, we want to pursue Jesus, and, and we know that he is the best option, and we know that he is worthy, but we also have all these other things that are going on that are pulling us away, and we don't really know how to move past that. And so just to see the honest conversations, it was just so encouraging. Um, and, and our high school leaders are uh, just incredible. For those of you who serve in our youth and children's ministry, just thank you for that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Praise God for those people. Um, I think our high school ministry team is all asleep at this point, but um, as they should be. But, but man, I mean, really, we have just the amazing, like God-fearing, God-honoring people who love God, love students, and just want to, to serve him and serve them. And so um, it, it was really a blessing. And, and as I was spending time there, though, I, I was thinking about what we are talking about in the book of Acts, because there's some things that really um, apply very directly. And, you know, I was thinking about, again, I mentioned this last week a little bit, but this, this mountaintop experience that you have as you literally go up a mountain to be at this camp and you are free of distractions. And at least for one week, everything is focused on God. I mean, you can't be at that camp and not have some experience with Jesus because everything is pointing you to him. There, there's chapel in the morning. There's worship services in the evening. All around you are people who are probably playing worship music, talking about God, like pointing you to him. There are Bible verses everywhere. There are crosses everywhere. Like you cannot go around that camp and not experience Jesus in some way. And so for a week, everyone is moving towards him and you're being encouraged and filled up and, and, and getting ready for, for what the world has. And then at the end of the week, you have this moment where you go home and you have to go down the mountain back into reality and you have a choice to make. Am I going to continue to pursue God and live out the way he wants me to live? Am I gonna do the things he has called me to do? Or am I gonna be distracted? And am I gonna go back to my old ways? 
And, and as I was spending time up at camp this last week, I was thinking about Acts chapter one and thinking about the apostles and what they experienced. They spent three years with Jesus in the flesh. Day and night, they were with him, learning from him, growing with him, worshiping him, learning how to pray, learning how to live the way he wanted them to live. And at the end of these three years, he was crucified and rose again, and they saw the resurrected Christ, and they spent time with the resurrected Christ. What an amazing joy that must have been. How filling that must have been. And then they went up to this mountain, they went up to the top of the Mount of Olives, and Jesus gave final instructions to them, and then he ascended into heaven. Can you imagine seeing the resurrected Christ ascend to heaven after telling you, hey, by the way, I'm coming again. I'm coming in glory. I'll be back, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. What a blessing that would have been, how filled up they must have been. And then they literally had to go down a hill as they walked down the Mount of Olives back into reality, back into the real world. And in that moment, they had a choice. Do we do the things that God has called us to do? Do we continue to live the way that Jesus has called us to live? Or do we begin to blend in and fit in with the culture and the world around us? Do we do the things that the world wants us to do? And they chose to go and be faithful to Christ. It says that they went and they went to a place where they gathered together and they waited on God. And they waited for the promised Holy Spirit to come. And when the Spirit came, they were ready to move because their eyes were focused on Jesus. They weren't distracted. They kept their eyes on him and they moved where he wanted them to go. And we see as the, the church began to break out in the book of Acts, we see that the church began to move in power. And when I look at the book of Acts and I read, especially if, if you read ahead in Acts 2.42 through Acts chapter 5, um, if you, if you read ahead, then you will see that God started doing some really incredible things. And if you've ever read the book of Acts, you can really read it in one of two different perspectives. You can read it with discouragement or you can read it with hope. And so you can read it with discouragement because you can look and you can see the apostles doing some really incredible things. And it's easy to look around and be like, I'm not sure that's happening in my life. I'm not sure that's happening in our church. I mean, at the end of Acts chapter two, right, the verses we, we covered last week, Peter preaches a sermon and it tells us in verse 41 that 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ in the single day on a single moment. Listen, as a preacher, that's a little defeating. But if we look at it from a different perspective, then we can see it encouraging us with hope. Because if we remember that the God who did work in the book of Acts 2,000 years ago is the same God that we serve today. It can fill us with hope. So the same spirit that moved in the lives of Paul and Peter and John and all the apostles, the same spirit that was drawing people to God, drawing people to Christ in the first century in the book of Acts is the same spirit that indwells us, that moves in our church here now today. That is a powerful thing to remember. Like we are focused on Jesus and trusting the Spirit of God to work here in Carmichael in 2023 in the same way that it worked in Jerusalem in the early first century. And because we know we have the same God and because we know we have the same Spirit and we're serving the same Jesus, we know that these same things can happen here today and now. And so we live with hope and courage and confidence 
as we go and serve God in the way that he has called us to do it. Now, the results might look a little bit different, or they might look the same. But our confidence and our hope should be that it's the same God doing the same thing here today and now that he was doing 2,000 years ago. It might look a little bit different, but he's moving in the same way. And so as we look at Acts chapter 2, we see a powerful church that's being built and going forward. And that's who we want to be. We want to be a powerful, successful church. Not success in the world's eyes, but success in God's eyes. And so we don't just gather and, and, and show up to church. We want to be the church. Well, what does it mean to be the church? Well, we're reminded from what we talked about last week. The church is the collection of God's people who live as witnesses of the work of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that is what we are called to do. Not just to hang out on Sunday mornings, not just to be entertained, but to gather together as a collection of God's people, a small collection of the greater church to encourage and strengthen one another so that we can go into the world and live as witnesses, making disciples, making fully committed followers of Jesus Christ, not through our strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And so we can be a powerful church here now in our culture, in our context, in our community today because the Spirit of God is continuing to move. And so let's just look at what it looked like in the, uh, in the early church and, and then we'll talk about how, how they made this happen, what the process was that led to the results and see how maybe we can live this out in our context and culture and world today. And so here's what's happened. I'm gonna just walk through these three chapters and look at a couple verses. So the church gathers together, and, and again, you see thousands of people coming to Jesus for the very first time. And then Acts chapter 2, verse 47, tells us that this is what was happening. It said, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Daily, people were getting saved. That's a powerful church. That's a powerful move of God's Spirit. I mean, we are happy if people get saved on Christmas and Easter. Like, if you told me that someone was getting saved at least every Sunday, I think we would be thrilled about that. We'd be rejoicing that someone is coming to know Christ every Sunday. And yet it says that the church was operating in such a way, God was moving in a way that people were being added daily. That can happen again. That can happen now, but it's going to require all of us being a part of the mission. That's not one person going out and being a witness. That is the thousands of people gathered together in this community that are going out and acting as pastors in their areas of influence. And so we see that people were coming to Christ daily. Well, they probably came to Christ daily in different ways, different things were happening. But one of the examples that we see is Peter and John. Peter and John begin to go out and they go to the temple courts and they're just being faithful to wherever God would lead them to go. And on this day, they're going to the temple courts and they find a man who is paralyzed from birth, who had never walked and he's over 40 years old. And they find him on the ground, he's begging for money. And they say what every good pastor says, we don't have any money. <laughs> but then they tell this and this, they said, what we do have, we'll give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And so again, they're being witnesses, not of themselves, but of Jesus. It's not through their power, but the power of the Holy Spirit. And this man gets up and he begins to walk and it says, he leapt with joy, which I mean, if you haven't walked for 40 years, you're probably gonna wanna test those legs the first time they start, start working again. 
And so a crowd begins to form because they knew who this man was. They had seen him begging. They knew that he had been paralyzed from birth. And so they see him and they're wondering what happened here? What is going on? How is this man walking and jumping and leaping and dancing around here? And Peter begins to preach his second sermon that we see in the book of Acts. And he really makes it very simple. He says, hey, this is because of Jesus. You remember Jesus? Remember standing in the crowd when Pilate asked if you want to have him released? And you said, no, crucify him, that Jesus. Right, your sin that put him on the cross, that Jesus. It is his power, it's his strength. But what he says is, here's the thing, while you were shouting crucify, he was stretching his arms and saying, come to me, I love you, I forgive you. He literally said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And so Peter tells them that if you repent of your sins and turn away from those things and turn towards Jesus and receive him as Lord, you will be saved. The person that you wanted put on the cross gave his life for you. And now if you put your trust in him, you can have life through him. And so here's what happened though. These religious leaders did not like the message of Jesus being proclaimed. And so they come and they grab Peter and John and they have them arrested. Now we are a church and so we've been doing this for a while now, but imagine if you went out in the culture and you're preaching and all these people have never heard the message come and they see what you're saying and then suddenly the, the, the religious leaders or the government leaders come and have you arrested and dragged away. My immediate thought is everyone would scatter. Oh, we weren't listening to that message. Don't associate with them because we don't want to be arrested. But here's what God was doing through this moment. In chapter four, verse four, it says this. It says, but many who heard the message believed. And so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So as the religious leaders are trying to stop the message of Jesus being proclaimed. God's like, oh, that's cute. Good luck with that. The plans of man can never stop the plans of God. And so here, the Spirit is doing the work in people's lives. And while they watch these men get arrested for proclaiming the message of Jesus, they're like, yeah, I don't want to be arrested, but I've got to do something with the truth, with the facts that are before me. And so it says that thousands of people came to believe on that day, and the number increased to 5,000. By the way, it's only mentioning the men here, because only men were counted at this time. And so this could have been 10, maybe even 15,000, if you include all the people that suddenly joined and, and believed in what Peter had preached, the message of Jesus, crucified, risen, ascended into heaven, the hope of the gospel. And so the Spirit of God was working powerfully through these men. And then they're, they're put before the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, and the religious leaders say, hey, what are you doing? And they come, they turn, and they say, wait, are, are we on trial for healing a man? Like, are we on trial for doing a good deed? Because in Jewish culture, and in many cultures, if we're honest, doing a good deed, doing kindness, is, is meant to receive blessing and praise for when that happens. And they're saying, so are you dragging us into prison for, for healing someone? And they're saying, if not that, then it's the message about how we were able to heal. But you see him healed. You know who he was. You know that he wasn't able to walk for 40 years. This isn't some game we're putting on. This isn't some show. But in the name of Jesus, he suddenly gained the ability to use his leg for the very first time. So what are we on trial for? 
And as they're speaking this, it, it, it tells us this in Acts chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. Now pause here because I feel like it's a little messed up from Luke to call Peter and John unschooled and ordinary men. I mean, it's truthful, but it just feels a little harsh. But here's the thing, right? This is who they were, and this is an important fact. The religious leaders are looking, and they're hearing them proclaim something powerfully and truthfully, and they're saying, we have to listen to this message, and they're speaking with power, they're speaking with authority, and clearly something just happened, but they're looking and they're saying, this shouldn't be coming from you. You're a nobody. You're just an average person. You don't have a college degree. You don't have a, a master's degree. Uh, you, you don't have the title. You don't have the resources. You don't come from power. Like there, there's nothing about you that is special. You're ordinary. You're unschooled. How are you doing this? And then they notice this. It says that they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. It says, but since, they couldn't, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing, standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. And so they're looking at these men and they're saying, you don't have the schooling, you don't have the title, you don't have the position, you don't have the power, you don't have the resources. The only thing that separates you from any other average person or maybe even below average person is that you were with Jesus. Knowing Jesus, being present with Jesus, experiencing Jesus changes things. And when the Spirit of God fills you, it gives you power and strength to do things that are not possible on your own. Because the church is not built by extraordinary people. It's built by ordinary people doing extraordinary things through the power of God. It's not about how great, how educated, how smart, how intelligent, how good-looking, how, how rich, how wealthy, how powerful we are. It is about the power of the Holy Spirit and our willingness to submit to Him and go where He calls us to go. You want to be a powerful church? Don't worry about who you are. Worry about the God who is leading you and trust Him to do the work that He has called us to do, that He has said He will do. And so they release the apostles because they can't do anything else because the facts are right there in front of them. And here's the thing. I want us to, to be clear on this. We don't need to be a church. I mean, let's, let's pray that that happens. But we don't need to be a church that does those kind of miracles. Right? We don't need to, 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 to heal someone who has been paralyzed in order to see God move. We can be a powerful witness in different ways. If we are a church that loves the way Jesus has called us to love, that forgives the way he has called us to forgive, that serves the way he has called us to serve, that is a powerful witness in our culture today. Because in a world, in a culture that constantly thinks about me and what's best for me, a church that says we live for God and to love others sacrificially, humbly, loving even our enemies, that is a powerful witness. And so when we do the things that God has called us to do through the power of the Holy Spirit, people are going to take notice and they're going to come and ask us in the same way, what makes you so special? How is this happening? 
And then we have an opportunity to trust the Spirit's leading with our words and to say, it's not about me, but through Christ in me. It's the power of Jesus at work. And so they are released and they go and they gather with the church and the church begins to sing praises to God and to pray and just to have this time of worship. And in their prayer, they say, God, would you allow us to do miracles like this again? And would you allow us to speak your words boldly and truthfully, just like just happened? Because we've seen the results. So church, we need to be praying these kind of prayers and look at what happened when they prayed these prayers. This is after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now I'm gonna be honest, I'm still waiting for a building to shake after a prayer. But the important thing is actually that next part. That they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. So often people come to church and they want to just show up and watch church. Entertain me. Fill me. Strengthen me but they don't wanna participate. We are called to be active participants as members of the church, that we are all witnesses of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here in this moment, every member of the church was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to go to their areas of influence and boldly proclaim the truth about Jesus. I mean, think about what would happen if we did the same thing. If just for one week, the 300 people in here gathered together, and maybe those joining us online, were filled with the Holy Spirit, submitted ourselves to Him, and listened to what He has called us to do, and went out and spoke the Word of God boldly, even for a week. The kind of impact that God would have, I can't even imagine it. If we went to our neighborhoods, if we went to our places of work, if we went to our schools, if we went to our, our, our stores and everything that we do, and, and we said, we are going to be a faithful witness to Jesus Christ. Man, what an amazing thing that would be. And so the believers begin to share everything together and, and, and there's this really cool picture of unity in the church. And then there's a section in chapter five that I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on. We might cover more of it in like the podcast or something. Um, maybe it's a message for a different day, but. There's this moment where Ananias and Sapphira is this married couple. And so what happened right before this is that someone had sold a field and presented the money to the disciples to meet all the needs that, 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 that existed. And so then many others were selling possessions and bringing money to the disciples and saying, hey, um, go do with this what you will to serve others. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they sell a field and they decide to keep part of the money for themselves and, and to give part of the money to the disciples. But they go in and they present it and the part that they gave, they said, this is everything that we made from the sale of this field. And Peter, through the Holy Spirit speaking to him, says, you're lying. Ananias, the husband, was the first one who came in. Sapphira wasn't there. And he says, you're lying, Ananias. And because of that, God judged him in an act of wrath from God. Ananias fell down dead on the spot. And so if you're sitting here today and you're thinking about not writing that tithe check, I just want to remind you <laughs> that that's not the point of this story. <laughs> By the way, Sapphira comes in later and she basically says the same thing. She repeats the lie and the same thing happens to her. And here's the point of this. They were trying to use the things of God for their own glory. They, they were trying to act as if they were all in so that people would think they were great and amazing and gain glory for themselves rather than giving glory to God. 
That's why judgment came upon them. Because God said, I'm not one to be used for your glory. You're not messing around with me in that way. No, if you're in, you're in. And Peter even says, it's not about the amount of money that they brought, it's the heart behind it. He said, listen, if you had come and you had said, and you'd spoken honestly, like you didn't have to sell your field, you didn't have to give any of this. If you came and brought part of this and said, hey, this is part of the money we sold, we would have been grateful. But it was the lie that they told for their own glory that was the issue here. And so church, we don't exist for our own glory. We don't exist to build up ourselves. And we're not just supposed to go through the motions to make ourselves look good. Look how much money I give in church. Look at how great my church attendance is. Look at how wonderful I am. Meanwhile, we're off doing our own thing, living in sin, because no one can see that part of us. God is not meant to be used for our own glory. We are meant to glorify Him. And so that's what's happening. And people actually begin to be nervous about entering into the church. And while we don't want to scare people away, it should be understood that for those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, God says, you're all in or you're not in at all. Now, that doesn't mean we have to be perfect. We're going to be sanctified. We're going to have some growth. We're going to still have sin issues. But God says, you are repenting of your sin in your past life. You're turning away from that and you're turning towards me and you're trusting me with everything you have. And so whatever God calls us to do, we're going to be faithful to him, giving him the glory, not going through the motions for ourselves. And then the apostles begin to heal and they're arrested. They actually walk out of prison through the power of God and they immediately go back to where they were and continue to preach. And so they come back and they're like, uh, you were supposed to be in jail and you're not, that's confusing. Um, and they bring them back to jail. And, and, and again, they can't really find anything to accuse them of. And, and so they simply tell them not to talk about Jesus. They have them beaten in hopes that that will stop them. And then they release them. And here's what it says at the end of Acts chapter five. It says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffering in the name of Jesus. And I'm gonna be honest, this is something that I struggle with. And that I think we as a church, not just Christ Community Church, but especially the American church struggles with. Because for many, many years, the culture has given us favor and blessing to do what we want to do. And the culture is beginning to shift and beginning to get more hostile towards the Christian faith. And in that, we don't quite know how to respond. But the sad reality is that often, first of all, I'll say this, that, that I don't want to necessarily say it's persecution because I think that's insulting to our brothers and sisters who are being literally thrown in prison, beaten and killed for their faith in other places around the world. But I will say that, that there are glimpses of persecution that are beginning to happen. And, and yet so often the response of the church, of the Christians, is anger, hatefulness, resentment, bitterness, and typically jumping online to talk about how awful those people out there who are against us really are. And yet here, the early church rejoiced in being counted as worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. 
And so if we are being persecuted, I pray and I hope that we would be like the early church who faces it with boldness, with courage, with hope and joy, but who also rejoices in being counted worthy and continues to demonstrate love and forgiveness even to our persecutors. Because let me remind you that Jesus died for his persecutors. He died for us. And we in our natural state were persecutors of God, living in sin and rebellion against him. And while yes, we aren't in the crowd shouting crucify him, that is what our sin does. It screams, I don't need you, so crucify him because I would rather do things my own way. And so if Jesus forgave us, and faced persecution and even death for us, then we as his church and his people need to rejoice in suffering for the name of Christ and to continue to love and forgive and speak truth boldly into our world. And so these chapters give us an example and really the entire book of Acts gives us an example of a powerful church, but how do we build that here and now? Well, let's go back to chapter two Verse 42, because this is what was happening before a lot of these other things take place. And verse 42 says this, the first three words, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. They is the church. It's the, the new Christians who Peter had preached to, had put their trust in Christ. There's the apostles and all those who had known the resurrected Christ. And so all the believers devoted themselves. And we'll see what they devote themselves to in just a minute. But we as a church need to be devoted And so often the church is the place that gets the least amount of our attention, the least amount of our time and treasure and talent, at least in terms of expectation. Yes, we'll show up as long as there's nothing else going on, as long as none of our other obligations are happening. We'll give as long as we have enough to pay through everything else that we want to take care of, and then we'll go ahead and give after that. We'll serve as long as there's nothing else going on and it seems easy and enjoyable enough for me to step into that space and serve. But the church is not called to ease, it's not called to comfort, it's not called to thinking about ourselves, it's called to be devoted. And so that means we completely surrender ourselves and trust God's will and God's plan. So there's three things that the church was devoted to. The first thing, we need to devote yourself to God. It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to reading the word, to learning about who Jesus is and what he calls them to be and what he calls them to do. They devote themselves to prayer because a powerful church trusts the strength and the power of God rather than trusting in their own power and strength. I mean, think about it. We have a king who has sent us out on a mission And he has the resources that we need to fulfill that mission. So why we not go and ask him for the resources needed? We need to constantly be in prayer for one another, for the church and for the mission of God to be fulfilled. They devote themselves to breaking of bread. There's an element of of, of community that happens here and just talking about sharing a meal together, but there's also an element of communion that we'll talk about this sacrament that, that brings us closer to Christ. So devote yourself to God, devote yourself to worship, devote yourself to discipleship, to growing in your knowledge and your understanding and your relationship with Christ. And then the second thing is this, devote yourself to the church. Now, yes, that is partially just devote yourself to the church, to the gathering and the people, but it's also devoting ourselves to one another. 
And so the church is not just a building or location. It's not just a business or some type of community. It is a group of people that are brought together through the blood of Christ. Because the blood of Christ redeems us and makes us new and draws us to God, but it also draws us to one another. And so in verse 42, it mentioned fellowship and again, breaking of bread. And then verse 43, it tells us that everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. So, so there's a consistent meeting together. And, and as they meet together, they gain more and more commonality. And so this doesn't just happen immediately. We are a church, we are a gathering of people with many different ideas, with different races, different genders, different backgrounds, different histories, different political opinions, all these differences, but we are united in Christ. And so the more time we spend together in worship and the more time we spend together pursuing God, the more we will have in common because we'll realize that the things that separate us are not as significant as the thing, as the one who brings us together. And so they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So they're ministering to one another. And every day, they, every day, they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So they met for corporate worship in the temple courts like we're doing here today. And then they went and they met in homes. And that can be times of small group where it's just a smaller group studying and talking about God's word, but this can also just be communal and fellowship and, and just sharing a meal and getting to know one another. To say, hey, I love you, I support you, I'm here for you. Because there's all sorts of practical, physical, real needs that, that exist in our community. And we need to know there are people that we can count on, that we can rely on, that we can turn to. There's celebrations that are happening. We need to, to have people that we can go and we can celebrate with and we can rejoice with. We need one another. And so we have to devote ourselves to the church, to God's people. And finally, devote yourself to witnessing to the world. Devote yourself to witnessing to the world. We're called to be on mission for Christ, to proclaim his goodness, his love, his mercy, his truth. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, if you haven't memorized it yet, we're probably gonna mention it every week, so you might as well just go ahead and do it. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we are called to be a witness of Jesus Christ locally and to the ends of the earth. And so in order to fulfill this, we have to be devoted to the mission to understand that every day we wake up, we are on mission for Christ. Missions isn't something that happens one week out of the year. It's not something that happens somewhere else. Mission is what God has called us to do, who God has called us to be. And we live that out every day, every moment, being witnesses of Jesus Christ to all the people we come in contact with. And so we as a church, as individuals and collectively, need to be devoted to God, devoted to the church, and devoted to being witnesses to the world. If we can do this, I believe we will see results similar to what we saw in the book of Acts. Because it's not about us, but the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. And so what we're gonna do now is we are going to participate in communion together. And communion is a gift from God that was given to us to remind us of who Jesus is, the work that he has done, but also to fill us, not physically, because the, the bread and the cup will not be enough to fill us physically, 
but to fill us spiritually with his presence. And so when we come, we, we gather together and, and take the elements to be spiritually filled, but also this is really an act of devotion. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion is an act of devotion to God. It's a reminder to our hearts, to our souls, to our spirit of the work that Jesus has done. That his body was broken, his blood was poured out, his body was given for us to take our place. That this is what Jesus did for each and every one of us. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the sacrifice he made for you and I because we couldn't do it on our own. On our own, we were in rebellion. On our own, we were in sin. On our own, we were alone and desperate, headed down a path that leads to death and destruction. But through Christ, we are made new and restored to him and given life. And so we come and say, God, fill me with your presence. I'm devoted to you. But we're also devoted to the church. The Apostle Paul, he says that, that, that when you do this, you are also communing with one another because the blood of Christ brings us together. And he actually tells us that if there is an issue between brothers and sisters in the church, that you should go take care of that before you come to the table. And so this is about all of us collectively pursuing Christ together and living on mission. And we're devoted to the mission to being witnesses to the world because at the very end of it, it says, when we do this, we proclaim his death until the day the Lord comes. And so maybe in here today, but certainly outside of these walls, there are people who are hurting and dying and are headed down a path of destruction and death. And we are the witnesses of Jesus Christ who have the hope, the keys to life the knowledge of the gospel in our hearts and in our minds. And so we proclaim his death, his resurrection, so that others may know that truth and receive his grace and his mercy and his love as well. We are called to be witnesses, to be pastors in our areas of influence, to boldly proclaim the word of God in everything we do so that others may know that truth as well. And so when we receive communion, this is a time for believers, for those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. I'm gonna be honest, if you are not a believer in here, you're not gonna gain anything from this. And the Bible actually has a warning that if we take this uh, without reverence, if we take this in the wrong way, that we can bring harm and illness upon ourselves. 
And, and so if that's you, I would just encourage you, just, just stay seated. No one's going to judge you or look at you weird or, 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 or think you're funny or strange or whatever. Um, uh, but maybe just be in prayer and get real with God for a moment and say, God, I, I don't understand this. I don't really believe it. But maybe if you reveal yourself to me, like, like show me who you are. Show me what this is all about. Show me why this church is, is coming to the table to receive from you. And what does that really mean? And see if God speaks to your heart today. And if you're sitting here today and you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ and you're thinking, hey, you know what? I, I do believe and I wanna put my trust in him and I wanna turn from my sins and receive the gift of life. All you have to do is say a very simple prayer where you say, God, I admit that I am a sinner. Um, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to, to live a perfect life, to die and rise again. And I wanna put my trust in you and you are saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. And we would love it if you came forward and took communion for the very first time as a believer. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, again, we come as devotion to God, to one another, and to the mission. So let this be a time of devotion. Final reminder is that if you would just help us out, the easiest way of doing this is if you would exit the aisles on your left-hand side, um, and then communion will be right there on the left-hand side of your aisle, and then you can enter back in again on your right-hand side. Um, that's just gonna be the easiest way to kind of direct the flow of traffic so that we can stay in reverence, not have to worry about who's running into who and different things like that. So let me pray for us and pray for this time of communion, and then we'll come together and receive communion together. Heavenly Father, you are so, so good to us. We don't deserve it. We're not worthy of it. We can't earn it. And yet you love us deeper, wider, more than we can possibly understand. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in our place, to be a sacrifice for our sins so that we could have life through him. God, thank you for bringing us together as the church, for giving us this family, for allowing us to be a part of the body. Help us to live out our purpose and our mission that you have given to us and our part in this family. And God, as we come and we gather, we proclaim your death, your resurrection. Until the day you return, we will be faithful to you. So God, give us the courage and the boldness to be devoted to you, to know you, to love you, to proclaim your truth, to push away distractions, and to just experience you. God, thank you for this time with you. We pray that you would fill us spiritually so that we can go and pour ourselves out, pour you out to the watching world so that they may know you as well. So God, meet us here in this time, in this place. Fill us. Thank you, Father, for who you are and for your love. We love you and praise things in your son's name. Amen. Come and receive.